Welcome back, everybody, to what I think is our sixth podcast, Siobhan, is it that is, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, um, as we mentioned last time, we're trying to do this every week. Um, we're not editing it, so it's as raw as it uh, comes out, isn't it? And uh, mm-hmm. we've today got a member with us from the group, uh, Darren, which um, I'll introduce to you later. Um, we might just talk about the pod, uh, the w- widows group for a little while, mightn't we? Just be, just to explain it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but basically, the group started about seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, um, and it started with me and a friend, and uh, we were both widowed, and gradually we we found support in with each other discussing all the things that we've discussed before in this podcast about how to cope the insanity of grief and uh, how to go forwards in your life and what what life's expectations are now and gradually we we became familiar with other widows and the group has just grown from strength to strength really we don't advertise um, and we have a main group which uh, meet monthly at a venue in local to us and they open especially for us um, and that's just a very much uh, a meet and greet and chat rather than a group where you sit down and you talk about your experiences one by one and that seems to work really well um, we also have a smaller group um, of more newly widowed members um, who who want to talk more about their grief but from the main group there 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 has been great friendships groups um, developing and a lot of different activities that we join in with because when you are first widowed you do feel very alone and it's very difficult isn't it to Mm -hmm. to do those things that you used to do together as couples Mm. to suddenly be alone and not being able to do things or feeling insecure if you do those things so you know it's just a food for thought whether any of you thought about possibly making a self-help group in your local area um and and it's just going from there really um because as i say you do feel very alone and i know it was very difficult for darren to come along to our first meeting so welcome darren thank you (laughs) how do you feel about the group was it hard coming along as the first yes it was for for a couple of reasons i think that the despite how society moves forward i think that there's still that idea that as the male you should be strong and not have to talk and not have to go to help groups and all those sorts of things so so there's even though we're aware of of those tropes from yesteryear it was still something that is kind of almost embedded in you um so there was that feeling of do i really need to go and do this you know mm. is it something that i actually need to do yeah. and the second thing of course was that i was the first male member mm-hmm. to be invited to the group it's as you know statistically it's more likely that women are going to lose their spouses rather yes. than men um, and I found that quite difficult a because I would be going into a an all-female group yeah not particularly an issue but I also felt that maybe I would change the dynamic of that group and I, yeah. I felt rather guilty in intruding mm-hmm. um, into that um, so there were a number of false starts to begin with. I was invited, and I think you had it every uh, one Monday yes. per month for a yeah. coffee morning. Um, and a, a few times I said, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously something that's good, and it's something that will get me out of the house and be able to talk about 
what I'm going through. Um, but then I decided against it and I stopped. And I think that was probably two or three months, maybe something like that in a row. Mm. And then um, I decided, no, I'm, I'm going to go. And I, I kept checking to make sure it was okay Yes. With, with you as the leader and, and with the other widows in the group because I wanted to make sure that everyone was happy with me mm. coming along. Um, and then when I did for the first time, um, it was incredibly welcoming and incredibly inclusive and I didn't feel as if I was intruding at all. I would That's suggest... really nice to hear, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no, yeah. it, it was. There, was, there, was there, there wasn't a single person who, who raised an eyebrow with me coming, which was wonderful. You know, I really was embraced with warmth and, and welcoming. Um, I would suggest that it probably has changed the dynamic of the group, having some men come along. Mm. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is, is for another discussion. But, mm. but certainly um, me going was, was a, a very, very good step forward. Yeah. Um, and the, the greatest thing I think that I've um, taken from the group is the fact that I remember you, Siobhan, saying that, that grief is a kind of madness and it is, you're, you're stuck in this perpetual circle going round and round in your head, not only before you lose your partner but afterwards as well. And you do start to think that, that you're doing things wrong or you're mm. approaching things wrong and so on. And by voicing those fears in a group such as this, you suddenly realise that there's no wrong way of doing something. No. That, you know, if you decide to wear a wedding ring or to throw it in the lake or to hide it in a box in the yeah. attic. There's no yeah. wrong way. It's, no. it's whatever feels right for you. No. Mm-hmm. And that goes across everything. Yes. It doesn't matter what it is, whether mm-hmm. you find it really hard to go shopping for groceries by yourself or whether you, you, know, you want to go for a walk alone or whatever. E- everybody was so open in mm-hmm. saying, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead and do yeah. it. Whatever, whatever you need to do yeah. to, to, to feel comfortable. I think it was really great, and that's something that is really great about this group, is that whatever struggles you're having, or whatever bananas you think your behaviour is, it's okay. Yes. yes. And yeah. everybody sees that actually you're just struggling and trying to survive the best way you can. Yeah. And more often than not, the other members will have said, yeah, I did that. Yes. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, yeah, I do that. Mm. You know, oh, yes, which, I feel that. Yeah, yes. totally. Which is so good. Yeah. Which is the, and, and that's probably the biggest takeaway mm. in terms of dealing with grief. Obviously, it's a wonderful place where we've made lots of friends yeah. and, and and it's it's so good to have those people that you can um you can go and speak to and and I think the second the other thing is I suppose is um the people who haven't experienced this just can't understand it no. and that's not a mm. criticism it's like saying to a, a woman who's never had a child trying to explain to them what it's like to be yeah. pregnant and give birth mm. You, you can't the words aren't enough to explain it no. so to so somebody who hasn't lost their loved one and still has them with them whilst they can be empathetic they can't really comprehend no. what you're going through yeah. and to be able to be welcomed into this group and be able to talk to other people who absolutely get it yes. is is a relief yeah. yes and do you, do you do you find that it's um y- you can talk to women more about your grief than than your male friends i know when simon was ill and his male friends would say oh how are you and he'd go yeah yeah i'm okay just a bit of chemo how's your golf swing he would always deflect it but do you mm. find that the women in the group are, are more draw out how you're actually feeling because as you said earlier you you have that sort of it's a 
bit of a bravado, isn't it? Men have got to be mm. upstanding and, you yeah. know, you don't cry and, you yeah. know, you get on with it. But have you found that you've been able to process your grief more by talking with other women? Yes. I, 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 whilst there's this idea that there, there's no difference between the genders, I, I do believe that there is. And whether that's purely societal or whether it's something that you're born with, I, I'm kind of in the middle on that. I think that there are external factors as well as internal mm. factors. But generally speaking, even though the Venn diagrams overlap, generally speaking, men tend to be on the fixing end of the spectrum and women tend to be on the nurturing end of the spectrum. And of course, there are always exceptions to those rules. Um, but certainly, you know, within my friendship group, there's only been one male who has actually sat down and said, no, tell me how you're really feeling. Yeah. And, and I've felt that I could actually do that. Yeah. Uh, whereas the other members of the group, it's, it's almost an obligation how are you doing? I'm fine. Okay, tick. Thanks. I've done that, Darren. You know, my, my obligation yes. feels like I've asked out. you how you are. Yeah. Whereas, whereas talking to the ladies in the group, it's certainly been a lot more... Uh, it's given me the ability... Seeing them, probably, seeing them talk about their, their journey and also break down and uh, have em open emotions mm. has, uh, has allowed me to do that as well. And yeah. It's allowed me to talk about uh, my experience. Mm. And... Uh, Whilst there's, for me, there's a balance between seeing the benefits of, of talking and, and having a certain therapy through that, there's also a balance of not wanting to talk about it too much. But certainly the amount that I've spoken to people in the group has allowed me to normalise my experience. And I think that's really, really helpful. Mm. I think that if you don't talk, you tend to bury it. And then yeah. if, if it ever does come up, you, you don't know how to handle no. it. Whereas by talking about Liz's uh, illness and then and then her death and then ha dealing with life afterwards, but being able to talk about it, it means that you normalise that experience. And so, should it come up in conversation, you find it easier to to just discuss yes. it. Whereas yeah. you know, rather than just try to sweep it under the carpet or, yeah. or or just compress it down inside. Yeah, yeah. and I think the because it's. Um, if you don't talk about it, if you're just pushing it down, you're not processing it, are you? So if you're actually talking with other people, you're processing it as you, as you talk. I mean, it, out of interest, do you, having been in the group, do you think there's a, any fundamental difference in the way women and men react to the death of their loved one? Um, it's very difficult for me to say because I'm a man, so you know I, I don't I haven't experienced it from a woman's point of view. Um, I mean, just hearing the others speak. Yes, I yeah, suppose. of course, yeah, yeah. yes, um, yes. I, I I I certainly think there is uh, certainly talking to the other male members as well as the other female members and listening to how they dealt with it. Um, you can tell that quite often they they either haven't or they won't talk about it in mm. depth. Um, one of our members, um, uh, I think he, he came to us after about a couple of years and he hadn't spoken to anyone, you know, uh, mm. in that interim period. And he found it very, very difficult mm. to open up. And it was only within the group that he, he then started to, to, to free up. And I think that men do find it really tricky. It's, it's really interesting that you can talk to a woman about your loss and start to tear up and they won't bat an eyelid. Whereas if you're talking to a, another male that male may balk at the fact that you're crying because yes. they don't know what to do about it, yeah. you know, and yes. so on. And also you then feel awkward crying in front of, you know, yeah. a male friends. So 
so yeah, there has. I think there is a fundamental difference. I think that men do try to um, suppress it. I suppose. I I think the thing that I found is that I don't like the emotion. I, I'm not saying that anybody does, but I really despise the emotion. You know, I got so sick of crying. I got tired, sick and tired of crying, and I absolutely hated it. I didn't want to cry anymore. So you were angry um, with it, yeah, really? Yeah, mm. I really was. I was, you know, it, it almost it almost felt like it was a separate part that I wanted to mm. to stop. Mm. Um, whereas whereas a lot of the the ladies in the group that I've spoken to, um, you know, they just talk about their uh, their experience and, and if that brings the tears it brings the tears you know as if it's a part of them as yes, you yeah, it's less integrated yeah. that's what yeah, you're saying yes absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah um yeah certainly but um but yeah uh, how as to how as to how men deal with it i, I think that i think that probably the, the the female members of the group would be able to explain that as well in terms of how their husbands dealt with it if they had a, a, an illness protracted yeah. illness before mm. they died that mm. the, that they may have very well not discussed it, they may have locked it away, they may have compartmentalised and so on. Um, whereas my wife didn't. She, you know, she wanted to talk about her entire illness and she'd then talk about her death and then talk about subsequent to her death. Um, so she was uh, ill for a long time? Yes, yeah, so my wife um, originally um, got skin cancer, malignant melanoma, back in 2010. Um, and back in those days, they, they just excised the mole uh, and waited. Um, and she was checked every three months at a clinic. I used to have to check all the lymph nodes and moles every month. Um, and that went on for about five and a half years, at which point they uh, discharged her um, and said that you know, she'd done amazingly well and if anything was going to come back, it would, it would have come back by then. So we thought that that, that was over. And unfortunately, six months later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, completely unrelated completely different cancer uh, but they told us that this one was very very treatable and that, that it wasn't a problem um, but we believe that the chemotherapy uh, that she went through um, destroyed her immune system to the point where it allowed the melanoma to come back and unfortunately it went pretty much everywhere throughout her body. Right. We thought that at that point um, that the, the game was over but she was actually put on a, a new therapy, a new treatment um, which worked incredibly well. It dissolved tumours throughout her body. She had tumours in her lungs, liver, skin, bones, stomach, uh, adrenal glands, and it just dissolved them uh, all over. Unfortunately, they'd also gone to her brain, and unfortunately the body tries to filter anything going up to the brain, including drugs, and so the drugs were ineffective, and uh, it was the, the tumours in her brain which took her. Um, but that, that entire process was, was 10 years, um, so she passed away, and... January 2020. So you've lived with that illness, even though there was a break in it, in a way, for a long time. Yes, well, as anyone knows that has been through cancer or, or a loved one has gone through cancer, it, it never leaves you. Once you've had it once, it stays with you. So for us, it felt like 10 years of just mm -hmm. constant battling and constant um, uh, appointments and mm -hmm. consultations and so on. And of course, the fact of bringing up a child as well. You know, So my daughter was 10 when her mum was first, first diagnosed and 20 when she passed and mm. that's an awful thing to have to deal with watching your mm. daughter actually grow up yeah. with, with with this um, which is something that as a parent as you will know you just want to protect them against but it's you what, can't yeah it's what we always say isn't it we want to put a plaster on but you oh, can't yes. in, in no. something like this it's, uh, tragic really tragic and of course that's a, a classic thing for me being a somebody who wants to fix things the, the hardest thing I found was was not being able to fix my wife 
and not being able to, to fix my wife and my daughter. And, and that's yes. probably the, the, the hardest aspect of, of all of this was, was watching them suffer. Uh, you know, I wasn't really throughout the 10 years and, and subsequently I wasn't ever really worried about my self and my feelings. I was just worried about theirs and the fact that I could do nothing to, to stop this, this mm. terrible sequence of events. Mm. That must have been so incredibly hard. I mean, and where are you with that now? Are you still trying to fix things for your daughter, do you feel? Do you try to tr- make something right or make something... Yeah, so, so I mean, fortunately, both my wife and my daughter and myself, the three of us had a very good, open relationship we discussed everything between us uh, we have really really good communications and with my daughter she she wasn't a, a mummy's girl or a daddy's girl you know it was equally spread um, my wife and I uh, made it very obvious right from the beginning that we were going to spend our time with her equally and, and bond with her as much as we could uh, which has, has certainly helped um, subsequently to my wife passing of course uh, as as any parent is, although you're the lone parent, you you try to take on both roles, yeah. which is incredibly difficult. Um, there are aspects of it that I've been successful at, mm-hmm. um, talking to her about a friend, talking to her about a boyfriend, being able to talk about um, uh, personal things about her health and female health and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very aware that there's there's a limit to that, and that there are things that she just wants to be able to sit down with her mum, and she's she's um, voiced that as well, um, that she just you know I just wish I could talk to mum about this, or yeah. I just wish I could have a mum hug, mm-hmm. and although that gives a good bear, bear dad hug, it's not a mum hug, you mm-hmm. know, and and so I'm aware that there are limitations to what I can and can't do, um, and and again that, that that's really difficult. Um, there's also, which I, I'm sure that other people will uh, will see as well, is that you 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 don't want to spoil them as such, but you you almost want to sort of make up for the pain that they've been through yeah. and, and and give them a little bit more allowance and and a little bit more bandwidth for them to have a bit more enjoyment out of life and you to know the compensating. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. So to try and compensate for that, but um, but yes, yeah, certainly trying to be a mum is 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 difficult in itself it's it's impossible mm. um to be totally mm. um it, it's trying to analyze what she needs and what she would have needed from a mum and whether i can actually provide that for her and sometimes it's it's successful but sometimes it's not and i think the I thing think is that you can overthink everything yeah. can't you i mean i think i certainly do that yeah. i'm trying to be a mother i'm trying to be a father probably not much good either <laughs> but it's it's like how it's overthink and then just think yeah. actually you've just got to try and we behave can, naturally we can only do our best as we well can. isn't it and, yeah. that, and that's that and we, we, we it, it, it is awful we just you go to bed and you think well i should have done that better right. or i should but you can't at the time you're only trying to you love them so much and as you say we try and overcompensate because of what they've been through life is so hard anyway and then you've got losing a parent on top of that and it's uh, it's very very trick very difficult very difficult so some of the things I, I think I've succeeded in is is uh, whereas before um, I'd be the fixer mm-hmm. and so if she came to me with a problem I'd try and fix it if she if she just wanted to vent she'd go to mum and I've had to learn that that to try and figure out if she actually wants me to give her advice and try and fix a problem or whether she just wants me to listen and, and, and vent. And I've, I've, I think I've kind of got that down. I might still not quite get it quite right. Um, things like 
birthday and Christmas presents, Liz loved to, she just loved the act of going and buying other people gifts and wrapping them and presenting them. And of course that's gone now and, and I've had to sort of step in. And so what I've done through, through the year, running up to Christmas or running up to her birthday is that I'll listen to her and if she says, oh, I'd really love one of these, I'll just put it down on a little list. Yeah. And then getting towards Christmas or birthday, you know, I'll have this little list that I can then purchase gifts knowing that she, she said that she wanted one but didn't actually go out and get no, it. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of worked. Um, but there are still things that, you know, I, I can't quite get right and, I, and I, I doubt if I ever will. And, and, and that's another thing which, which just adds to your pain yeah. because you can't provide that for your child. And the only way that you can provide that is, is bringing a loved one back, which we all know is impossible. Yeah. I think for children as well, or for any age, it, it, they, they have very few peers who have experienced the same thing. That Most of all of my children's friends, all their parents are still alive. So they, 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 they find it really difficult explaining how they feel to their friends and their friends to understand exactly what they are going through. But as we always say, it's so difficult to walk in someone else's footsteps, isn't it? When you've not been, you haven't experienced the, the, the traumatic grief and the pain of, of losing someone you love so much. I think it's interesting what I've noticed with my kids is that that was very similar. But now that they've started having friends who have lost a parent, those friends are coming and saying, my God, you know, right, they're yes. just now recognising, yes. you, yeah. you know, what, what they they went through. What about sort of work and stuff? Did it affect your relationship with colleagues? Has it made you different in terms of how you, your attitude towards work or your prioritising of work or has it made no difference at all? Uh, yeah, it has. A, a, I mean, obviously when it was happening, uh, there was a, a huge fear of being the breadwinner. Yeah. Um, my wife wanted to be a, a full-time mum, so it meant that, that I was the sole income earner. Um, and the fear was losing that income, um, especially with the career that I have as an airline pilot, is that, you know, any kind of mental illness or incapacity, um, you can lose your, uh, your license, um, but also just not being fit to work. It's one thing being able to go into an office and, and function, albeit struggling with your grief, but there were times when I knew that I couldn't take an aircraft into the sky, it was, it was mm. just foolhardy. So, mm. and then of course, stepping out of that role, which the, the job were quite happy for me to do, and de declaring myself unfit to work, you then start to feel very vulnerable as to how long a worker are going to be happy with this before they start asking questions yeah. or start putting pressure on. Um, so that was the initial fear, and of course then that leads on to paying the mortgage and keeping the mm. house and so on. Um, but the biggest thing is that my career is something that I started working towards when I was in my mid-teens, you know, picking the right O-levels, the right A-levels to become an airline pilot, and becoming eventually a captain was the pinnacle of, of all of those years of hard work. Yeah. Since losing my wife, I've completely lost interest in it. Mm. It, it holds no... No. I, I enjoy flying aircraft, but in terms of... The, the, the want to, to succeed in that job has, has completely left me. Mm -hmm. As I say to people uh, you know, that know me, I've completely lost my mojo for, for, for the career. Mm, yeah. um, and I, I don't know whether that's just because of the type of career or whether it would be the same in a completely different career. But I think that the reason for that, the way that I perceive it, is that everything I did to, to build that career was for my family. Mm. It was to provide for them so that they would have a good house, that they would have good food and, and education and 
go on holidays and have clothes and mm. not to spoil them, but to provide a good yeah. and a secure life for them. Um, now that my wife's gone, I, the uh, the ambition, I don't know if it's ambition, but just the drive, the, the drive, the drive yeah, yeah, for that mm. is, is, has gone. Mm. Um, and I actually find it actually quite hard to dig myself out to go and do the job. I still do it to the best of my ability. Yes. But, but but that enthusiasm for it has, has left me. Seems like you don't want to climb up any more ladders. You're yes, just fine yeah. doing what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, but yeah. even less than that, I, I, right. you know, I've lost the enthusiasm for the yeah. job. And so now I'm, I'm going through the motions and I'm kind of watching time until I retire. Mm. Um, whereas before I'd be excited to go and then come back and tell my wife about the trip. And, and I, we were looking forward to when my daughter was self-sufficient, my wife come away on trips with me which of course was um, all predictive for the future, which as you all know, mm. you know that's one thing we're all robbed of. It is. Uh, but, um, but yeah, in terms of affecting the job, it, you know, I've completely lost all of these yeah. for it. So. What is, well, sorry, sorry. No, I think what we haven't sort of touched on is, is how grief is so exhausting, isn't it? And, yes. You know, even just to function on a n- normal day and to be in front of people and to, to try and be yourself or how everyone else expects you to now be if it's the length of time since you were widowed um, and I think that that, that has a sense of losing your enthusiasm and drive for your, something that you had a passion for before mm. Mm. I, th- I think that's also a really good point is, is that uh, again the way that I see it is that we, we all wear various masks we wear masks mm-hmm. for our spouse, for our children for our work colleagues for uh, a person we meet in the street or whatever we always have this mask that we that we have but I think the grief it certainly for me is like wearing another mask on top mm. all the time mm. so not only have you got to put on the the dad mask or the the pilot mask or the friend mask or whatever but you've got this added grief mask as well you know and and I'm sure that you'll agree with me so many times people have gone to you and said how are you doing oh yeah fine yeah, yeah not too bad yeah. and you don't mean it no and no. the grief mask is always it's like what well, yes whatever mask you wear the grief mask is in the background I always yeah. think of it as the context of my life mm. is actually that we've all gone through that yeah would you have any sort of I don't know advice for other men that you may be newly widowed or, or in fact have been widowed a while but have not found it easy to talk or have become more isolated would you have anything to say to them yeah I mean uh, talking does help I think that that's probably the most most important factor it, it doesn't really matter who it's to mm-hmm. um, whether you think that it's better to go to a professional mm-hmm. or whether you think it's it's finding a, a right friend to be able to go down the mm. pub and have a drink and be able to actually mm. talk about how you're feeling um, or whether to find a group uh, as we have. I think, I think that the most important thing for me was, was talking about what I'd been through so that it wasn't affecting me, it wasn't defining me. Mm. It wasn't that every time that I got up in the morning and I was fearful of somebody coming up and speaking to me and I burst into tears. Um, I wanted to get to the point where I'd spoken about it enough that I could then talk about it to anyone as as we're doing now. now. Um, So yeah, I'd say talk, but but not be afraid to talk. It's you know uh, um, you've just got to find it wherever you can. that's great. Um, yeah. We've said that before, haven't we? Mm. Lean on those that support you the most. Mm. And I think um, 
Thank you so much, Darren. Yeah, really appreciate you, your input. Yeah. Thank you. It's been really good talking to you and sharing everything with you. And we shall be back next week. With, yes, um, with another episode. episode. <laughs> we will. In the meantime, keep well. Go well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.